This podcast contains detailed plot spoilers, adult language, and mature themes. Listener discretion is advised. They mostly come out at night. Mostly. Welcome back to another episode of a podcast of Rare Antiquities, episode 25. On today's show, we will sink our teeth into Catherine Bigelow's 1987 vampire flick, Near Dark. I am your host, Harry. I am your co-host, Jeff. So, Jeff, first off, happy Halloween for last month. <laughs> <laughs> We are now at the end of November. My bad on the delay. I've just been too busy working up at a plant in northern Alberta and, you know, just working long hours and stuff and then just exhausted when I come home with the kids. And I even missed Halloween. But did you have a good Halloween this year? Or did you do anything of interest? Because I seem to recall last year you mentioned your drunken ass self was chucking candy at kids. Yeah, you know, it's an annual tradition. I like to drive around with a wolf mask on and just throw old hardened candies at poor little poor little children. So, you know, they figure they got it coming, don't they? <laughs> wow. <laughs> as, long as, they're, as long as they're not my kid. Well, hey, man, don't, don't send them out after sunset, I guess, is all the only advice I have for you on that one. Okay. So, Near Dark, I think you, last time you said you never heard about it. So, before we get into the movie, I just kind of wanted to talk about the vampire horror genre in general. I mean, can you fill me in on any experiences or memories you have watching this show? genre is there anything you're liking something that interests you uh yeah so in the vampire genre i mean it's a it's pretty varied and wide-ranging bram stoker's dracula directed by francis ford coppola starring gary oldman i think is one of my it's not one of my like favorite movies but i sure enjoy it just because it's really out there so it's a different it's a different take past that i don't know i kind of liked wesley snipes and blade (laughs) 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 you know as far as the genre goes you know i don't don't know that i could really put my finger on a lot of vampire movies that i that i really enjoy i'm a big fan of buffy the vampire slayer the tv show and its spinoffs but that's about it what about you I mean, you mentioned Buffy. I mean, my my wife introduced me to to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and yeah, I watched most most of it. But I think I was more caught up in Angel, and I I, I made it through that that show, even even though it still was a mixed bag. I mean, but that's a type of TV genre, young adult kind of light fluff stuff that you know it serves its purpose for certain certain demographics. It's not like classical works of art. Yeah, I mean, Blade is is obviously good. I remember seeing when I was younger some. Of those hammer films like starring christopher lee as dracula probably mm-hmm. i think it was just called dracula that was one of my earlier exposures to vampire films i mean i can't recall which one that might be the first one but probably my favorite i agree with you is bram Stoker's dracula done by coppola which has gary oldman because it is uh, i love the visual style of that movie and it just feels very weird but appropriate and it feels very it's not goth but it, it's somewhere where it's just like bizarre and fantastical and, and i really enjoyed that visual style with a, a dracula film even though there are problems with that movie for sure but that was a i definitely enjoyed that one yeah i mean when i was younger i mean i don't know if you ever saw this movie monster squad that was another one. Oh, <laughs> i love the monster squad <laughs> wolfman's got nards man i mean <laughs> i mean that had everybody in it so i mean that's yeah. that's another Another one of my, I guess, favorites. I haven't seen that movie since I was a kid, to be honest with you. Yeah, we, we could do it on the show sometime. It It's one of those movies you could argue might be best left aging in your memory like a fine wine as opposed to actually 
corking open that bottle and having a taste. Yeah, again, that's like more very young adults. You're talking mm-hmm. about Disney age type of take on, on something, right? So yeah. I would expect that. Uh, unfortunately, the later, the, I mean, vampire, the, over the past decade, I mean, vampires have been pretty popular with the unfortunate uh, reality of Twilight, which I have, uh. to, I have had to suffer through with because of my, uh, my wife. Yeah, uh, that's God, some, God that's some her, bullshit. But, well, you know what? In the end, well, we all have our guilty pleasures, but that's some bullshit. Yeah, terrible films, uh, even though I, I, I suffered through it. It does have a unique, weird fight at the end, which is kind of cool, but that's as much as I'll admit of enjoying those things. But again, th- those are bulk books for young adults, so I'm yeah. not going to bash something that was books and it's, you know, if it gets young adults to read, all the better. But the the transition to film, I don't, I've never read the books and I never will, so if that's what the books were, yikes. But hey, if young adults are reading, God bless them. So. You got to look at the silver lining, I guess. Yeah, and, and I guess like, you know, I, what uh, other... Sh- shit out there. I mean, I've never seen True Blood, but I I know of its existence. So, I mean, that's pretty popular. I think that's an HBO show. Yeah. So, have you seen something like that? I tried watching True Blood and, you know, I watch lots of violent TV shows and lots of gore. And True Blood was way too much for me. Oh, so maybe it's more up my alley. It, well, it might be, man. It's wall-to-wall gore and depravity and it's it's a lot. It's a lot. So yeah, maybe maybe you'd like. Oh, I mean, if I can get through Game of Thrones, I mean. Yeah, I know it's like like Game of Thrones is kind of like not like a walk in the park, but like you know, Game of Thrones might be like a bad weather day through the park compared to the tornado of blood and shit that is True Blood. So okay, well maybe I'll give give that one a a shot later. So yeah, I mean, there's more out there. I mean, I I could have done a lot more research and. (laughs) gone through every single one but one thing that does interest me and i'm sure they've made a movie about this but i really think more akin to bram stoker's uh, dracula would be i really would like to see a movie based on vlad the impaler because that's one of the earlier he was obviously there's no vampires but this guy drank blood he decapitated people in the past like very violent individual and i don't know the history around him but i know he was one of the inspirations for dracula i think that he would make an interesting i mean that kind of story and that character would interesting one to tell for the silver screen so i've always been waiting for that one so surprised that yeah i actually agree with you i think that would be interesting but and given hollywood's fascination with reboots and prequels and things like that you know it's something that could almost conceive of happening except that that movie that came out this past year dracula untold was you know the story of vlad the impaler but it's done in a you know fantasy that was about uh, vlad the impaler are you serious well yeah before he uh, you know it's the origin story of dracula so he's vlad the impaler and he has to embrace somehow he's you know they make dracula a superhero so he needs an origin story and it's vlad the impaler and he becomes (laughs) dracula it's i just remember the commercials so i remember him just wiping out armies and shit like that yeah that's not not Dracula. no it's it's ridiculous you know that's what we get now with uh modern movies so uh, you know are we gonna see like a a down-to-earth you know reasonably budgeted well-directed biopic of vlad the impaler eh, maybe not this generation maybe there's a hbo series after West there World. you go there you go yeah, yeah there you go true blood's origins vlad the impaler <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> there you go hbo you, you true you, blood yeah. episode Original. one the phantom menace <laughs> Awesome. It was Dracula is a whiny little brat with a, with a CGI sidekick. Awesome. I'm in, man. As long as Jar Jar gets an appearance, I'm a happy man. So He'd probably be right at home in that world of freaks and weirdos and stuff. I won't be able to concentrate. I'm just going to be thinking about that now. But anyways. I know. 
So just, I guess, just another type of question before we get into these. So about the vampire flicks in general and the genre, why is it such an attraction from your perspective for, I mean, there's a couple of obvious answers, but to you, why is it an attraction for people to keep coming back and watching vampires? What is it about the characters or the genre or the mythology that really draws people to keep watching? It's an old myth, so obviously there's some deeper root in our culture. So when it, you know, it comes through the movies and TV shows, those are trees coming out of very deep roots in our in our culture. So you know, you'd have to look at that. I think there's a couple reasons. I mean, the obvious one is the flirting with immortality. Everybody wants to live forever and be young forever, which is sort of the promise of the of the myth. Mm-hmm. But there's, I think, it goes deeper than that. I think that it. And I think a lot of people don't really acknowledge this, but it's the exploration of a darker side of humanity, some of the baser instincts to, mm-hmm. you know, you look at, when you look at a vamp, when you look at vampire movies, what are vampires doing? Basically, they eat and they fuck and they have a hell of a time doing it. Yes. Uh, and, yeah, exactly. And there's no pretense in the in the vampire worlds. You know, I mean, I guess that there is, you know, lots of stories of layered different things on, but... That's a college man's, you know, everyday yeah. routine, right? Well, I, I guess he hopes so. You know, <laughs> but lots of, lots of eating anyway. So, you know, I, so I think that some of those darker, those baser instincts were of just pure hunger and sexual desire and I don't want to say rage, but just the unadulterated... You yeah, know. You're right. You're. I think you're driving more into letting go of all of your inhibitions that society mm. has kind of thrust upon us. Through, exactly. through religion, restri- religious restrictions, society restrictions, you know, you will be a good person. What defines a good person? Yeah, and you won't yeah. indulge these yeah. things that poison your spirit. And, and I think, you know, without having done a, a, an in-depth analysis, I think that there's a, a lot of that is why it continues to be appealing. I mean, we, you know, I, we talked about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and I, I know you weren't like a huge fan of that show, but a lot of that show as it progressed was wrestling with darkness and even darkness wrestling with, uh, with light. Some of the, you know, the evil characters that tried to become good and the, the good characters that wrestled with the dark side and what that means, like letting, letting go of all of that shit and, and indulging just those, you know, those base emotions. So I think that's a lot of the appeal, you know, they definitely cheese it up in most, most of the movies and they just become monster flicks. But you know, I think there's a lot more interesting material to be mined underneath it. No, no, I think that's pretty much, pretty much again, you're correct. I mean, we could go and do a lot more analytical depth, but I think that pretty much covers it generically. So how about Catherine Bigelow? So now let's move to her. So she has done 11 films as a director. I think this was her third or fourth outing. She had done a couple of very low-budgeted movies before this. She's also known for the more her more famous work, obviously, Point Break, Strange Days, The Unfortunate Reality that was K-19, The Widowmaker. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously known and got her accolades for The Hurt Locker, which she won an Oscar for Best Director, and most recently, Zero Dark Thirty. So what is it about her? I'm sure you've seen at least a few of her movies. Can you comment on anything that you find interesting about her as a director or as a choice of the films that she's made? Yeah, I find her, she's a very good filmmaker for sure. Very high level of technical proficiency. I find some of her work to be a little bit cold. 
little sterile. Zero Dark Thirty was basically a love letter to torture and justification for it. So I was a huge fan of that film. The Hurt Locker was very good. I think she's good, like I say, very technically proficient. And I think she's good with getting good performances out of her performers. I haven't seen all of her movies, but she did do a series of episodes of one of my favorite TV shows of all time called Homicide Life on the Street. And her work was a, was a natural fit for anybody listening who knows that TV show. Her work was a natural fit for that, which showcases actors, showcases characters in, in very mundane situations in a very workmanlike scenario, which are commonly glorified. So, you know, she's made a couple of war films. We've talked about Zero Dark Thirty and The Hurt Locker. Well, maybe you wouldn't classify them as war films, but they're more about people doing the work, right? And yeah. usually, if you took the subject matter of those two films, those things are glorified. We'd have a hero, stand, you know, with his foot up on a rock, with the sun rising behind him and an American flag, you know, flapping in the background. That's usually how the, that subject matter is portrayed. And she just goes about it where these are these are people doing a very difficult job. And just to bring back to the TV show that I was talking about, that's exactly how that TV show is. So she's a real natural fit on there. So I was a, a fan of her uh, her work on on that TV show. So, but yeah, I, I mean, I had no idea this is kind of where she got her start. She's pretty famous now, and yeah, this is an interesting one to have in the in the filmography when you're when you're such a, an acclaimed and accomplished director. Well, you got to start somewhere. So it'll be what I take away. I mean, you, what you said is very well explained and I agree with you. I haven't seen Strange Days and that's something that I do want to catch one day. It's on my, always been on my radar, but visually, uh, her, her visual flair and her technical proficiency, I definitely agree with that. It will even get into this movie. There are definitely some shots that are very interesting and that she, that she utilizes and accomplishes as a, as a filmmaker. The Hurt Locker definitely in terms of that visual artistic style very good movie. Yeah, Zero Dark Thirty was a little bit more about the work and a little more straightforward. K-19, let's just forget about that one. But Point Break, again, fun movie, more of a commercial mainstream movie. But I remember some of the visuals in that movie too, even though they were grounded in it's a, it's a real, set in a realistic environment. I also felt from my memory, it was also a visually stunning, you know, as far mm -hmm. as you can get with Keanu Reeves and Patrick, Patrick <laughs> Swayze, right? So, yeah. But yeah, so it'll be interesting to analyze what your, your thoughts and my thoughts will be about this one. So how about we just get straight into Plot Summer here? Let's do it. Okay. It's a dark and stormy night. Just kidding. Meet Caleb, a young cowboy, nobody in a small town, out on the hunt to get laid, and he spots a drifter named May. After trying to seduce her, she actually kisses and then bites him on the neck right before sunrise. She runs away, and unfortunately for Caleb, the sun starts to cause Caleb's skin to smoke. It's hot and humid, but hey, at least it's a dry heat. <laughs> Before Caleb can get back to his family, an RV drives by and Caleb is kidnapped. Here, Caleb meets May's group of ragtag friends who are definitely a couple cans short of a six-pack. Day here is like a day on the farm. They are the ultimate badasses. They've got phased plasma pulse rifles, RPGs, nukes, knives, and sharp sticks. Nope, sorry, just sharp teeth. May's team, led by Jesse, Diamondback, and Severin, are also joined by Little Homer. They want to kill Caleb because May revealed herself as a vampire, and they want to keep their secret. But May tells him she bit him, and he is already starting to turn, so they let Caleb live for now. Caleb leaves the group, but his insatiable thirst for blood brings him back. Caleb continues to only feed off May, as he is unwilling to kill anything else. You see, you don't see him fucking anyone over for a percentage. Jesse and Severin are getting fed up with Caleb not accepting who he is. So they go to an isolated redneck bar to see if he will pass the test. 
Stop your grinning and drop your linen. Severin truly shows how to get things done here as he and his group slaughter everyone in the bar, leaving a sole survivor for Caleb. Caleb allows the one survivor to escape. Jesse is furious, but since sunrise is approaching, he has no time to deal with Caleb, and they all go to a motel to sleep it off and avoid the light. They are woken by police, and they are detecting signals, in front and behind. Something is moving, and it ain't them. As the shootout begins, Caleb and company are trapped inside their motel room, and it's daylight outside. He saves the team by putting a bedsheet over him and making it for the van, getting shot several times, and he is cooking on fire, literally, and manages to bring the van so so they can all escape. Caleb is temporarily forgiven, but then realizes that little Homer has lured Caleb's little sister Sarah in as prey to kill. You see, Caleb's father and sister have been looking for Caleb and have tracked him down. Caleb's sister opens the windows to let the sunlight in, and Caleb escapes with his family back to the farm. Caleb then suddenly looks into the future and somehow manages to retrieve con blood and uses a blood transfusion to suddenly transform himself back to a normal human being. That night, the vampires come back and kidnap Sarah. Caleb gives chase on horseback and he faces off against Severin. Get out. Caleb commandeers a big semi-tractor trailer and runs Severin over. But Severin will not stop and does not feel pity or remorse. And suddenly is on the hood of the truck. Caleb manages to jackknife the vehicle and jumps out as the truck crashes and explodes, killing Severin. Dawn is approaching again, and Jesse and Diamondback are chasing Caleb down in their sunproofed car. But May has a change of heart and breaks the back of the car and frees herself and Sarah. Horny Homer gives chase, <laughs> but is engulfed in flames and dies. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was, that was more funny saying it than writing it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you should have practiced before so you could have said it straight. That's okay. <laughs> All right. May is able to make it to Caleb when he covers her up before she dies. With the sunproofing on the car damaged, Jesse and Diamond Bank... Uh, <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> Jesse and Diamondback attempt to run Caleb and May over, but they are lit on fire due to sun exposure and the fire causes the car to explode. May is burned pretty bad, but when she wakes up, she realizes she doesn't need to go to Genesis. As it's planet forbidden, Conblood did the trick, and she is no longer a vampire too. The end. <laughs> I apologize for the, the horny, horny Homer. <laughs> I think it would have been more funny if actually it was more horny than just hungry. That's why you ran after her. And they were a little young, so I guess they I don't know comfortable. <laughs> Those jeans were looking a little tight. So, <laughs> so based on that plot synopsis, there, what are your what are your firsts here? Well, I mean, other than not really knowing what movie I'm watching, but yeah, it sounds like a pretty. Standard thriller type of movie from the synopsis, to be honest, right? Pretty simple. Like, it's simple. Yeah, it's... it's Straightforward. Simple. Yeah, it's it's pretty simple. But is there... It, based on the genres... Now, I mean, now, obviously, there's good movies, there's bad movies, there's average yeah. movies. Now, we're talking about a specific genre. Is there something of interest here, just based on that, that you think, you know, catches catches your eye, gets you interested, piques your interest? Um, just in, in what I said. Is there anything there that... Or you just think it's standard I mean, fare and the devil's in the details? Well, I think the devil is in the details. And the more that we kind of get enveloped in the modern era, of what we'll call modern, I don't know, modern, like right now in sort of the latter part of the second decade of the 21st century, where there's always a twist or a conspiracy or some shit going on. To have a movie that's not about that, where it is a character movie, that's what hooks me. Mm-hmm. You know, I like a simple storyline, you know, it's about. You know, often it's about internal conflict with, like I said before, if we're talking about this genre, talking about vampires, it's not about vampires. It's about what's going on in those characters. So, you know, there are a couple interesting points. I think I'll I'll, I'll save to when we actually kind of do the do the breakdown. But, you know, yeah, I like that it's simple. I was just curious if there was anything out there that I said that 
piqued your interest, but yeah, I think let's save that for the, as we do the blow by blow. So just give you a couple of pieces of trivia here. So this is a very low budget movie, especially considering the late, it was the late eighties budget was only 5 million, but the unfortunate reality is it only made 3.3 million domestically. That's all the numbers I could find, but compare that to the lost boys, which came out just two months prior to this. The lost boys made 32 million. Wow. So you compare 32 million to 3.3 million. The Lost Boys may have just, it might have just been beating them to the punch. And they said, well, well, audiences had enough of vampires. So it's like, okay, well, I don't need to see another one. Or just because The Lost Boys might be a better movie than this. And then the bad word of mouth on this one could have, could have uh, contributed if that was indeed what happened. For what it's worth, though, Near Dark does sit at 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, again, for what that's worth, but is ranked 34 out of the top 50 best horror movies of all time. Again, on Rotten Tomatoes. Huh. Again, take that for what it's worth. What really uh, piqued your interest were the uh, the threesome of Bill Paxton, Lance Henriksen, and Jeanette Goldstein here, who just appeared right before in Aliens together, and they are also Jim Cameron regulars. So before I continue that, uh, was that a nice surprise for you? Oh, yeah, because I knew nothing about the movie and didn't know anything going in. You know, I, I don't know that I paid too much attention to the opening credits and the names that were in there, and I saw these guys rolling in i'm like shit is james cameron gonna walk on to set here especially when i saw Jeanette goldstein i was like sweet this is this is awesome i i had no idea that bigelow and, and cameron were married when i watched it, i was like okay obviously there's a there's a cameron connection here because like every single james cameron undercard star is in this is in this movie other than michael bean of course but i love those guys so it was awesome to see them you know you don't see Jeanette goldstein and hardly anything yeah and, yeah you don't you know, see. she she's got a nice presence on screen she's not a fantastic actor but uh, it's nice to, yeah, it was nice to see her because uh, i loved her in aliens so well i mean i've loved her in like I, I haven't hated her in a role granted she hasn't been in at least the movies i've seen she hasn't been had any meaty roles but she's a good character actor yeah and it's a shame we don't get to see her in more things because i think she definitely could have uh, broadened her horizon if she got maybe the opportunity maybe she just got typecast as the, as the tough girl and maybe just was just a friend of Jim Cameron and wanted nothing to do with anyone else who knows but uh, yeah you mentioned uh, Cameron and Bigelow were married they were married for three years from I think 89 to 91 another little tidbit to the word vampire never referenced in them once in the movie but let's talk about the two main leads main protagonist is Adrian Pazder Caleb played by Adrian Pazder um, he's you know Kind of like, again, a small character actor. He's still active today. Uh, he got his break in Top Gun as one of the other kind of like co-pilots or something like that. He was one yeah. of the, he was in there. He was also in Carlito's Way. But I think most people would probably know him from the TV show Heroes. And I think he's still acting mostly in TV today. So May was played by the actress Jenny Wright. She hasn't done, she hasn't acted since 1998, but she mainly uh, re- uh, relegated herself to a handful of small TV movies and TV shows. And so not sure what's happened to her. Horny Homer, <laughs> played by Joshua John Miller. He's half brother to Jason Patrick, actually. So. Oh, no shit. Yeah, funny. So then it's like, you know, Lost Boys beat him to the punch. So I wonder how their relationship took off after that. He's more of a, he stopped acting. He's more of a, a writer these days and like a series, TV series producer. I don't know which one. So that's it for the trivia. Any any comments there? Well, not, I mean, no, not really. I, I mean, that's Adrian Pazdar. I, I know, obviously, from his work there, I've never been a huge fan of his. No, he's all right, I guess. But like I say, I mean, I, I love Bill Paxton. I love, I love Lance Henriksen. Jenny Wright, I'd never seen in anything else as far as I know. So it's, you know, it definitely has the feel of, you know, low budget indie film, you know? 
Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. And I think these these are earlier roles too. So I mean, I think even for Pazdar, this is might be third or fourth in his list. So in terms of credits, so and it shows you see some of the inexperience here. So they're acting, get into as we along. So let's get into the opening of this movie. So we open here in Oklahoma, small town in Oklahoma. So Caleb uh, he meets up at a bar with some of his cowboy friends, and you know he's out for. Out for some different kind of blood. Sees May, starts hitting on her, and she needs a ride home. One thing I did notice here is this this opening moving very fast, like severely, maybe a minute with his friends, a minute with May, and then next thing you know, she bites him, and then like we're three minutes into the movie, and she runs away. So, you know, it's a traditional B-movie opening. I felt the dialogue here was also a bit stilted. What was your... What was your take about uh, on the scene? Yeah, you're right. It it goes it goes quickly, which I'm okay with because I don't need a two and a half hour movie about vampires. You know, sometimes you got to keep the action moving, and, and you have to sacrifice some of the setup that you might otherwise put here. Even for like you know, I've done a lot. I've watched a lot of '80s horrors, classic yeah. horrors, right? Even compared to that, like I felt there wasn't a lot of setup for tension here, and maybe that was an intentionally yeah. done. It wasn't the focus of uh, Bigelow to set that up, and she wanted to go straight into him starting to turn. Yeah, but I felt there was no build to anything in the beginning. No, I agree. No, I, I, I do agree. I think it might have been served better to spend a little bit more of the first act, you know, burning into his, you know, his eventual turn as opposed to, you know, his first few scenes where he gets bit. I find it interesting, and I was watching this. When I watch movies now, and just in today's climate with things that are sort of happening in the world, I notice behavior from male characters towards female characters that is typically considered not only acceptable, but just normal, right? Mm. And he is... I mean, he is pushing himself on her the whole time, you know? I mean, obviously, he's, I mean, he's interested and, you know, we're not led to believe that anything nefarious is going on, on on his part. But I think it's interesting to watch, you know, look back. It's not that long ago, you know? I guess we're looking at close to 30 years, but... You're getting almost into rape territory. Well, yeah, that exactly. We kind of, we, we almost are. And right, because he stops the truck yeah. and says, well, you're not going any further until at least I get kissed. Yeah, exactly. He wants more. So yeah, it's, exactly. it's like, that's a little... So was this self-defense from her? It's kind of interesting. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. It, it kind of look at it that way. Like, you know, she's an immortal vampire. Yeah, she'll fucking give him no for an answer. She goddamn well pleases. And not because she's a woman, but because she's a creature of the night, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is borderline rape, borderline sexual assault, for sure. Is <laughs> it self-defense? I mean, no... <laughs> Yeah, I guess you could look at it that way, right? If if she wants to basically, basically she's co-parenting a rape victim that it has her result of her self-defense, that's another layer that we probably don't need to examine. Yeah, yeah no, I agree. So yeah, we missed a scene where he, you know, went all Shatner, Kingdom of the Spiders on her mm-hmm. and lassoed her, but uh, let's skip that. And yeah, so after she bites him, she runs away because sunrise is coming So in the, and he's not going to drive. So she just bolts and then of course his truck doesn't start. So very convenient. So then he starts walking home and this is where things visually start to get interesting as well because he's not feeling well of course sun's starting to come up and he's literally starting to smoke and what did you think of now the this is something that's you're going to continually see throughout the movie is these guys starting to smoke when they're in the sun what do you think of the visual flair here like this little trickery visual effects i mean obviously this is a practical effect here how they're doing it probably pretty obvious he's clutching his torso there must be something in there that's setting off some smoke so but what did you think of these scenes yeah i think it looks good yeah. I like the practical smoke. I think it looks good. And I, and that it wasn't, like I say, I didn't know anything 
anything about the movie. So first off, you know, maybe this is kind of going back to the last couple scenes. I didn't I didn't put together that she was a vampire. I thought maybe she was from outer space because she was kind of looking up at the stars for a bit. Okay. So, you know, once she once she bites him, then it, it's, you know, it obviously starts to become, it becomes clear what she is. Yeah, I thought it was a great little little visual trick there. Looked great. So then after she bit him, that was your pretty sure this is a vampire flick. Yeah, well, at that point, I, I mean, yeah, I kind of put it together. Well, that being said, I... I thought, oh, maybe she is a vampire. Maybe she is still from outer space. Space vampire. <laughs> space vampire. Yes. That shit would have been fucking awesome. Yes. <laughs> so speaking of cooking, it literally is time to cook as we see Jesse Pinkman's RV roll up and Caleb is grabbed right before his uh, dad and his sister, Sarah, before he was able to make it home. But instead of Heisenberg and Jesse Pinkman, we get our Aliens reunion special with Paxton Hendrickson and Goldstein. So we talked about them. I love how Hendrickson's even still rocking the Nick Cage hairstyle uh, hairline he had in uh, yeah. aliens there so i have a question for you just not okay. to break your rhythm there oh go ahead is lance henriksen actually a vampire because this guy's the same fucking age i swear to god in 1987 as he is today this guy does not age at all was he ever young was he ever young no i think that's really the question is he just looked like a decrepit old man to begin with and yeah. he, he, <laughs> he has pretty much stayed that way Maybe that's the way to go, right? It's just look like a weathered old piece of like sun-dried tomato <laughs> from like when you're like 21. For the next 60 years, people are like, God damn, you looking good. No, you look exactly the same. Yeah, you look exactly like you did 20 years ago. Speaking of Cage, now this is a funny story that just popped in my head. The people were wondering if Nick Cage was actually a vampire because they saw some like 1800 painting picture mm. and there's a guy who looks exactly like Cage, except he has a mustache. And Cage is adamant that that is not him. I'm not sure I believe him, but it could be Cage. Cage could be immortal. Methinks the lady doth protest a little too much in Nicholas's ca- Nicholas Cage's case on that one. <laughs> so let's go back to the movie. So they just, they won't kill him because even though they want to, she bit him and she, she obviously likes Caleb and is saying he's starting to turn, which is true. So what did you think of the intro to the vampire gang? And that includes little, little Homer, H-O-M-E-R, Homer. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> a little Homer. Yes. In my notes, I wrote, and I quote, Bill fucking Paxton. And that's pretty much it. Because I see Bill Paxton, and when I'm not expecting to see him, I get really excited. So I, I do too. He is such yeah. a great character actor. He's like Cage in a slightly similar yet different way, a little bit more restrained than than the Cage. But every time you see him, your eyes are just gl- yeah. It doesn't he matter he steals movie. every scene. Yeah. He's in in every movie he's in. I mean, not recently. I mean, he's more of a reserved actor now. Yeah, he probably maybe you know playing to his age. But my God, his earlier roles, he was a scene stealer and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Gang was kind of neat. I liked, the, I liked the RV. I'd seen them do something similar on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So I saw it. I'm like, okay, uh, you know, maybe uh, there's a connection in there. But it was a neat little gang. I mean, you got the, you've got the James Cameron regulars along with this creepy little kid. And there's... Nothing creepier in horror movies than, than little kids. So it was cool. You know, as, I, as I'm, as i you know, understanding what the world is now and what's going on, I want to see more. Yeah, I thought it was a good intro. Yeah, I thought it was a, a really good intro here too. So as they ditch the methmobile and they, uh, they steal a station wagon, surprisingly they let Caleb leave, but probably because they know his thirst will, will bring him back. I like the scene now when he's trying to go home at the bus station and he starts to get candy bar from a vending machine and he mm. is just not mm. enjoying it anymore. But I find that strange because I think the first scene we see of May earlier when he spot, uh, Caleb spots her outside that bar at the beginning of the movie, she's eating an ice cream cone. And later in the movie, I think mm. they're, uh, they're talking about ordering 
ordering a pizza, the whole gang. I don't know if that's just part of the turning process or or if there's just a logic issue here, but I mean, yeah. that's just a little nitpick. Well, no, that's interesting because I, I like that detail where he tries to eat the candy bar and he can't. It's just disgusting. I thought that I, I really liked that, but I, yeah, I didn't. I forgot about the ice cream cone and yeah, yeah, they were talking about that pizza. So yeah, I, I think that's probably a logic issue more than that part of you know, being the turning process, but yeah, I just thought it was just a question I had. It's just like, okay, well, might have been interesting. I'm not saying I needed to be explained, but then when you see those kind of discrepancies, it just, you know, you start to scratch your head and it takes you, yeah. you start thinking about the discrepancies instead of enjoying the movie. You know, maybe that's my fault. You're looking at the details too much. So obviously he doesn't make it home. He gets off the bus because he's starting to really feel ill, gets back and he starts, may let some feed from her wrist. And I really like this scene. Like you get another scene of him feeding off of her because I like the desperation and this gives off that feeling of lust between and that connection between the two vampires, right? As they feed off each other. And, and that's part of the genre, part of the lore, right? So, uh, yeah, is, is this a scene? So are, are we going to the part where he's, where he's, uh, where she uh, feeds him that where we're at right now? Yeah. Like when he first yeah. comes back, like he's so weak and then she just, okay. uh, she just yeah. lets him feed off. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I like that. I like these scenes because there was a sense of desperation and a connection, just that inescape cannot escape this at all. Yeah. No, I thought, I think Adrian Pastor did a good job here with just, with portraying that that need yeah that kind of goes back to the you know what i was talking about the vampires before it's just that that baser emotion just you gotta have it you gotta have it yeah because it's been a couple weeks since i watched it is this uh the scene where like there's all the oil derricks around and she cuts her hand open is that this scene uh it could be i think that could be later because they do it twice Okay. Still refuses. Right. We'll get into it. He refuses to kill. So That's I what think I thought. There's another one. All right. So that after this, now we cut away to as he's resting. They cut away to you see Caleb's family, his dad and his sister Sarah, looking for him, and they're worried. They go to the police officer, chief of police. I love how Caleb's dad just like Batman to the fuck out of there because he didn't trust the police. So yeah, totally. <laughs> Guy turns around. Is like, where the fuck is he? So I found it refreshing. Again, I think we've done a couple of horror movies where you mentioned it's refreshing that characters do a logical thing. I mean, whether this is illogical or logical, but I wouldn't trust a small town sheriff to do jack shit. He'd pretty much be confined by jurisdiction. So yeah. I like these scenes. Again, it's good to point out. Strange that I keep seeing these takes because like that's kind of like a cliche that nobody does a sensible thing. But here we are in the few horror movies we talked about and everyone's people are doing sensible things. That's why we're the Rare Antiquities podcast, Harry. We're not on the beaten track here. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Then May is telling Caleb he has to accept who he is and he needs to kill. So you get a couple of shots of Homer and Severin getting their victims. This is the part where you see the flashbacks as she's explaining it to him. And not flashbacks, but you see what they're doing. Like, I think Homer, he's pretending to be kind of dead or fainted near his bike on the street, pulls a guy to him, and then you get get a funny little what the fuck going on with Paxton here is he's by himself in a cowboy outfit on the side, and he's just kind of rotating with the gun. No, nobody's there. And then he finally hitchhikes a ride, (laughs) and then uh, he gets the ladies in. I just, again, it's such a short scene, but you see Paxton's charm and comedic charm here in full display so I did enjoy that but then we get into what the meat and potatoes of the movie is is Caleb continues to refuse to kill and the rest of the movie is really about this gang trying to get him to kill so this is the concept of the movie before Blade you get to see it in Blade where you know Blade finds a way around not killing people thanks to some whatever serum or something like that so this is Caleb who's just you know turning to be a vampire I guess is a vampire in, in some sense and he's temptation to the dark side so again keep going back Back to mm-hmm. Anakin's portrayal 
and his temptations and stuff. But I have a question for you, and we can you can talk about it as we progress. But are there layers here to Caleb's resistance and his temptation and his resistance, or is it just? The simple little concept and it goes nowhere. I guess it depends on where you want to pull it from. I mean, we don't know a lot about Caleb other than he's a you know farm boy, other than his penchant to force himself on pretty young ladies in the middle of the night in the middle of nowhere. He's I think there's this concept of uh, you see it in a lot of movies and you see it in a lot of books where the good guys are often the salt of the earth, rural, simple, you know, whether they're farmers or just, you know, small have small town mechanic or or whatever. They're always the good guys. Mm. We saw that in Kingdom of the Spiders with William Shatner. We see it in lots of movies now. Those guys are always the good guys. And the bad guys are always the city dwellers or the urban knights. I don't want to say the future, but the values that are not the simple small town, for lack of a better term, conservative values. Mm. So many movies are, are so many stories are, are like that. So I think that they're using that as shorthand for Caleb's character here. We don't know a lot about him, but because he's a farm boy and because he has a little sister and a dad and no mom, that's all shorthand for him being a really solid, good guy. So when he's presented with this situation of like this primal need to kill, to eat or to feed, and not just to feed, but in the most heinous way possible by gleefully murdering other human beings. I mean, this entire gang of vampires, they couldn't do it. They take pleasure in it. And he is resisting. So I see that conflict coming to to the surface here where he's the one who's able to do it. But it's because he's got the good country boy values. I do think that that's what's going on here. Okay. No, no, I agree. I'm not sure how... I kind of wish they showed a little bit more of that temptation. I mean, we're going to get into a scene where in the bar, you know, they really want him to pass that kind of test. Yeah. But I mean, there, we do get a scene just now where May and Caleb are hitchhiking and she wants Caleb to kill the truck driver. Caleb just can't do it. He's sick to his stomach and he has to get out. And then May kills the driver for him instead, but he still won't even drink his blood. And this mm-hmm. is the scene where I think you see him still drinking from her in front of those the pumps, oil pumps and and then he almost kills her because he's trying to drink too much from her. So so I'm not, I'm not sure if there's like kind of a symbiotic relationship just between him and her. If this is really just a, like, is it Bigelow just talking about his only interest is only her? His only attraction and temptation is to her and not to the vampires. He's strong enough to not give in, except he's easily giving in to her, but nothing else. So yeah, again, you're talking about good country values. Protagonist will still not give in, but I feel it's a little muddy here because he's still willing to, to drink from her. So I'm not really sure what she's trying to say. And, and it's important to note that Bigelow had a, a writing credit on this film as well. She mm-hmm. directed, so I'm not really sure what the message is. He doesn't want to kill. I don't think he has a problem feeding and she's willing to give herself to him. So Right, but then, okay, so she, but she kills a truck driver. He's dead. Right. And he won't still feed off the carcass. So is, you know, is that just him kind of like saying, I'm, this is my stance? You're willingly given letting me drink food, but even when a guy's dead, I'm still not. So, and then it's also interesting, you know, animals, I'm not saying, I mean, I'm all for animal rights too, but that wasn't even, that subject matter wasn't even broached. I'm sure, I'm pretty sure there were, I can't remember which vampire movies are out there, but might be Blade. I'm not sure where somebody, some vampire was, wasn't killing people, but he was eating off vampires. I'm not vampire, I mean animals, and I, for the love of God. Yeah. Oh, fuck, uh, I think that's fucking Twilight. Fuck. Well, no, fucking well, I, I my mean, fucking, my God being. damn it. God damn yeah, it. 
It's a part of you now, Harry. It's a part, Twilight is now a part of you, my friend. Because <laughs> uh, I haven't seen it, but that was a theme in Interview with the Vampire. Oh, okay. And the vampire played by... So Brad Pitt's character was in the same place. He refused to kill. So he would eat... He would feed off of animals whenever possible. Rats and, you know, stray dogs and that kind of thing. And what was interesting about Interview with the Vampire was you could do it. The vampires could do it, but they were miserable when they didn't eat, when they didn't feed off of human blood. Mm-hmm. They could survive, but it just they were the miserable. Yeah. It wasn't the same. They hated it, They mm-hmm. could, but they could do it to survive. Not enough nutritional value. Yeah, exactly. They, exactly. they need the A blood, lot of empty they, calories there. Yeah, they need the blood of like fat, obese Americans who are just, you know, snacking on Mickey D's and French fries and candy yeah, exactly. bars. And exactly. Like yeah, they, exactly. They need the, the high insulin level. Levels of American, <laughs> yeah. really sustain themselves. That's why French vampires are such assholes? Is like a, all those skinny people who smoke all the time doesn't help. So Caleb's resistance here is driving Jesse a little bananas, and he's had enough, and he wants Caleb to make a kill that night. So now we get our extended technoir scene here. So they go to the dive bar, redneck bar, middle of nowhere, and arguably. Maybe not arguably, this is probably the best scene in the movie where Paxton, the character Severin, really shines here. These guys just go to town on the people in that bar, and it's really about Paxton just allowing himself to let loose. And I'm not sure if you noticed, you even get the other cameo of that T2 biker guy in this bar. Yeah, like, totally, forgot, I noticed that. You yeah. forgot to say please, so. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome to see that guy. Yeah, so. Because this was before Terminator 2 by quite a few years, so that was neat. Yeah, it's before T2, so what did you think of this whole scene here? And this thing, you know, you could talk about everything, the slaughter, the performances from all the vampire, the gang here, the kills, and uh, Caleb's last sole survivor there, he allows him to Good scene. Very good scene. And definitely Bill Paxton takes this one over. And I love how he keeps fucking with that dude at the bar where he knocks the drink over. Right. And then has the bartender pour him another drink. And he says, pay the man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <Make> some pay <laughs> for yeah, that was great. That was so good. Yeah, it was great. Uh, and then he then he says, oh, you want to fight? And then the guy's about to punch him, but he pulls up yeah. uh, Caleb in the middle, who's too yeah. weak to move because he's hungry. So he's just like yeah. pulls him up and the guy punches him and says, oh, just continue. I'm trying to teach him a lesson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Such a good scene. Because it starts to draw out a little bit. Because at first it's kind of funny. You know what's coming. Mm-hmm. And at first it's playful and it's kind of funny. And then they just start, you know, eating everybody. And it, it draws out. It feels to me very deliberately so that like it's not fun anymore on purpose because now, you know, as we're sort of seeing the movie through Adrian, you know, it's not fun anymore and that and the reality starts to set in. It's very chilling, especially when Well, you know that the people here are now like after a couple of scenes, all the patrons there in the barkeep, they know they're they're just in shock and silence because they know they're fucked. Yeah. They, exactly. They, they know that these guys aren't normal, nothing's gonna do shit, and they're in serious trouble. Yeah, and this is probably the best in my opinion this is the best horror movie element of this of this film is this of this scene here with the building dread and horror we know what's going to happen there's nothing anybody can do about it but you're kind of like the average movie goer in us is like or hoping adrian's going to save the day but you know it's just completely impossible i really liked when may started dancing with the with the sole survivor there it's kind of to get adrian worked up so he'd go and chow down 
but very super chilling. Super yeah, chilling. Yeah, that was a nice moment, a very seductive yeah. moment and, and smart move by May to try and really get him, you know, hopefully get Caleb jealous enough so he'll actually do something, right? Mm-hmm. Good move by her, even though it didn't work. But I wanted to point out a couple of scenes here. I mean, we already talked about Paxton stealing the show, but Henriksen here probably has his best moment in the film. It's in a really creepy way while he's very calm and he, the barkeep says something to him and he goes, he starts close, slowly moving to the door, closes it. He says, oh, I just need an extra few minutes of your time, the exact time for the rest of your life, right? Yeah, good line. Yeah, it's a great line. And he says it so calmly. He's got a nice little smile on his face. But his eyes, like Henriksen's eyes there, it's just really haunting. Yeah. (laughs) By design. Be careful when you stare into Lance Henriksen's eyes because the abyss will stare back into you. (laughs) Yes. But then this is follow-up, followed up by one of Paxton's great lines. He's about to kill. He crushes that guy guy's head in a little bit and then uh, he wants to eat him he sniffs the guy's looks at the guy's neck sniffs and i love this sexual innuendo and he goes i hate it when they ain't shaved yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i was i bust a gut laughing there man that's a good line that was a great line that was amazing yeah Yeah, so then like obviously caleb chases the guy out because the guy guy does a barrel a shatner barrel roll through the window there and caleb chases him but lets him go catches up to him lets him go but then jesse company are fear but again, can't deal with Caleb because the sun is going up. And I wanted to talk about this because this happened a couple of times earlier in the film where the sun keeps fucking coming up. And this is not about the fucking rotational turning of the earth. But it's the time because it is a thing. It's the timing, and I think this is a crux of the film. And I'll get in the third act here, where what the fuck are these guys doing? Vampires fucking know you don't go at five, like you know, fifteen minutes, twenty minutes till sunrise to start doing your shit. So it's a movie. I'm not supposed to make you know. It's not supposed to really think about these kind of things, especially with this type of genre. But it really started to bug me because it happened before, happened here. It's gonna happen again in the third act, a couple times where. Oh shit, the sun's coming up. Well, no fucking shit. So why are you starting all of your, you know, rampage so close to sunrise? And I guess it's just the way these, the writers are trying to get out of these scenarios, right? Uh, these kind of loopholes. Because now Jesse and Severin and Diamondback can't deal with Caleb here. So they have to go to a hotel and sleep it off. So that's just, just to get to the next scene. But I found it lazy writing. I wasn't a fan of it. I mean, you're right. Unless it's the far north in the middle of summer. And it's, you know, 3.30. This is Oklahoma. Yeah, exactly. So, right. So it's not, it's not like here where we have extraordinarily short nights. You know, we have a lot of sunlight in the summertime. It's not, it's not like that. I mean, I guess it is a a crutch uh, for the writers to fall back on as a dramatic tool to, you know, amp up the tension. But you know what I found? You're right. It is, it is a crutch. It's not the right, you know, it's not smart. There isn't any other interventions there. Yeah. Like you'd be starting it. It's probably dark at, you know, 9.30. Mm-hmm. They could go out and cause carnage and nap for a bit and go out and cause some more and and still be, you know, home in time to crawl into your coffin. I find a lot of movies that are even are not vampire related have a real difficult time with <laughs> dusk and nighttime and dawn. It's like the sun's coming up, it's going down, you don't know. It's, it's difficult. I think it's I think it's because it's very difficult to manage as a filmmaker, just from a technical standpoint, what time of day it is you know now it's a little easier because you can you know well, filter yeah. stuff out well you also have a but you have a budget problem too if it's a low budget yeah. movie you know you have a production crew sitting around you're not going to wait till the following evening if your budget is that tight to continue filming yeah an area and stuff like that i mean you don't have green screen at this time but still because this is a repetitive problem in this movie it keeps cropping up i, I thought i pointed out I, i'm not a fan of that kind of 
kind of lazy writing. So obviously they go to the hotel room in the middle of nowhere. Police arrive because the sole survivor notified the police. They were able to track down their van and now we get the shootout. And this is another little interesting piece of the movie. I enjoyed it. What are your thoughts here? I'll let you let you talk about it. On the shootout? Yeah. Yeah, I thought this was a very good scene for a couple of reasons. First is I thought it was curtains for the vampires at this point. I thought that things were going to start to come to a head here. There's a neat setup here where... You know, the bullets aren't going to do too much, but they're punching holes in this shitty little cabin they're staying in. So they have to basically dodge the sunlight, which was kind of which was kind of cool. And, you know, they it's not a question of them being able to outshoot the cops. They got to get to that. They got to get to the car to, to escape before the whole thing collapses. You know, usually a shootout's just, you know, us versus them. Right. This is a little bit different. They've got the layer of the, you know, they have to stay out of the sun and they have to escape without exploding into, a, you know, violent fireballs. Uh, I thought it was very well filmed. I, I thought there was lots of tension here. I thought it was technically very good. Yeah, great shootout. I thought it was good. Yeah, no, I thought this is where one of the better scenes in the movie, again, very visually interesting, you know, because you mentioned about all the holes and the sunlight beaming through. There's a lot of great camera shots here where some of the sunlight's hitting them and they're burning, but it's not like their whole bodies. It's like an arm, a shoulder, something like that. And, uh, I thought it was really, really interesting. I had a lot of fun with this scene. I mean, I still laughed. Uh, I laughed out loud at uh, Paxton as he, you know, he looks up outside and the sun burns him, you know, fucking dumbass mofo. <laughs> what do you think? You can see that it's sunny outside behind the curtains. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. What I really lo- I liked as well, and I wanted to point it out, is as Caleb is making a run for it in the van, and he's got a blanket or a curtain over him. He's getting shot, and you still see the smoking effects, and you're seeing it even more so now. Looks really good, and I think even the blanket catches on fire. But you also see the police shoot him in fucking squibs. Now, squibs, common in the 80s, early 90s, and I love squibs. You know what squibs are, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, so, the condom filled uh, with, with big blood. blood, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's awesome. I love seeing old school practical effects here because you don't get that and you get all this fake CGI, yeah. blood nonsense. Doesn't look realistic. Not that squibs are particularly realistic. They're a little bit, exa- they're obviously exaggerated. The amount of blood that would come out instantaneously. It's like an explosion yeah. of blood. You get just shot in the shoulders. Like, I mean, you're obviously not going to have that much blood come out instantaneously. I mean, it will flow afterwards, but I still love seeing squibs. So, props for that him getting burned on fire great special effects so i, I thought i would I, I wanted to point that out i really love this scene so now we're getting into the third act here and i think this is where the movie starts to have some problems so let's talk about it in a scene by scene so the family so they escape they're back in another hotel room caleb and company and all is forgiven because he managed to get the van and get everybody away from the cops i mean jesse's saying he's gonna give him another chance but all of a sudden caleb's family tracks him down a bit coincidental the sisters just being out there in the same hotel room that's obviously a lazy plot point here and he's she's targeted by homer and he wants to probably feed on her is, is my guess here these scenes here are not very cliche and not very good feels like almost the movie's running out of budget and they just got to wrap things up so this is the only way they had to go again it's dark and you know you see sarah's outside obviously she's i think they mentioned it's 5 a.m or 4 a.m or something like that and then what she's doing up that late i don't know but regardless that's okay She's getting a Coke. Uh, Homer brings her into the room where they are. And then Severin goes, gets, gets the dad because Diamondback is find out the room he's staying in from Sarah. And then Caleb shows up with May and then the dad's there with Severin and they're going to kill everybody. But then Sarah opens the door and it's broad daylight outside. Just like that. So yeah. again, what I'm talking about here, this lazy writing, you know, these kind of loopholes just to get around the story. I'm not a fan of these kind of scenes. So what do you think? I think there's difficulty, as I said before, part of it is a writing problem. 
problem. Part of it is an editing problem. And, you know, they're just not, it's hard to foresee what the finished product is going to look like when you're writing it and when you're, you know, when you're even filming the, the movie. So I'm okay to cut them a bit of a break. Just, and the reason why I say is I see these problems in so many movies that aren't vampire movies. You know, there's more consequences when it is a vampire movie, obviously, because, you know, the sunlight's an issue. I did notice it as well, but I don't want to say it's lazy. I think it's just a, a result of, of it being low budget and you're, you have restrictions and sometimes you just can't beat them. So I'm willing to give it, cut the movie some slack because of some of the other things that are working for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So then they escape. Caleb escapes with his family and he takes them home. And again, this is now the what the fuck moment for me. The blood transfusion. Mm. So conveniently stupid. He just looked, he's in the van as I go home, looks back. Oh, dad, you got some supplies there. Can you give me a blood transfusion? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I was like a little I mean, confused as well. Like I mean, how, why did he think that this would be a thing that would work? Like the dad. Like, he doesn't know what vampire, like, he's a vampire. He I mean, they don't talk about it. I'll just give no. you a blood transfusion. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. I, I, this is too easy of a resolution. So, I hated this. This is terrible. This is into darkness all over again for me. Maybe this is where JJ got it. I don't know, but something's going on here and I'm not a fan. So, instead of running away, now he's cured the next morning. So, instead of running away and relocating his family, they just decided to stay and surprise, surprise, Jesse and company come back and they kidnap Sarah. So Caleb gives chase and they go into a small town. And of course, you know, in many movies, not just horror movies, nobody's there at all. I know it's a little late at night, but geez, there's nobody in this town. It's completely desolate. And Have you ever been in a small town after dark? Yeah, I've been to a few, but I mean, there's it's pe- exactly like it's it's empty. No, I mean, there's dive bar- there's dive bars, man. People are out. People are there. Oh, I don't know, man. I've been in a few, and it's like in cities large in, in towns larger than this, and it's like the sun sets, and it's like they're running from the creatures of the night. Like there's <laughs> yeah, tumbleweeds and the whole bit. It's empty. I'm well, okay with that part. Well, if you're in the if you're in the area where maybe the people are picking berries instead of the bars, I'm hanging around the bar areas. But I don't know about you. There's there's a bar. There's a bar. There's a bar. Anyways. And I don't know that guys like you want to be in there. That is true. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I wanted to just briefly touch on something here. Now, the look and feel of this movie. Because these scenes here, and it reminded me of Terminator 1, both yeah. the structure and the look. And the exploding tanker truck. And the explode. You forget the exploding tanker truck. Of course, that's just a throwback to T1 here. But yeah. the director of photography of this movie, sorry, I cannot, forgot his name to write it down. He's the same director of photography from Terminator. Okay. So she loved the look of Terminator and she wanted to replicate that kind of lighting effect, the way the movie yep. was lit. And you could see it here. This feels oh, like yeah. Terminator 1. Exactly. Yeah. And you get to, you kind of get that kind of bluish tint, natural hues. I just love the way it felt. But since you're getting the exact, uh, you know, photographer who's uh, and lighter who's doing Terminator 1, it's going to look very similar. But I thought I'd point that out. Here you get Paxton, who, Severin, who runs into Caleb here. And I love his death strut as he's welcoming getting run over. He's just like, come on, come on, let's go. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah, Paxton. But so Caleb. Runs him over and then Paxton's, you know, gets hit. He's all bloody, but he's climbing up on top of the truck. And then Caleb just, just jackknifes the truck and then jumps out. Now, I'm not sure how it explodes, but it just does. 
I wrote that down in my notes. Yeah. Why did that truck explode? No, because like he pulled out a couple of wires. I can understand it not stopping. Yeah. Or the engine failing. But why did it explode? It was like that when what's his name in the Simpsons drove off the road and like hit the tree. And then 10 seconds later, the car bursts into flames. It's, yeah. This is it's just because this, it did. Yeah. This is just because we need to wrap this movie. Yeah. And let's kill Severn off quickly. I liked the scene, the lead up to it. I just wish there was more here, especially mm-hmm. with Bill Paxton's character. It felt very rushed, a little bit anticlimactic. But again, because you're dealing with a very small budget, I'm assuming that's the reason why. And then you get the standoff with Jesse and Diamondback. And then May saves Caleb from getting shot. And again, dawn is coming. And so again, why did Jesse and company decide to do this so late at night? You kidnapped the dog. Just before it was like they were having dinner. If you remember Caleb at his dad's house. And then this was like next town over. I'm assuming he wasn't traveling for several hours. Probably just went to the next town over outside of his farm. And then they had the standoff. He's on a fucking horse. So I don't know what's going on. Again, this is a big problem in the movie for me. I really hate them relying on, oh, it's dawn now. Dawn's coming. So Yeah, I I suppose. Yeah, but I suppose when you have a vampire movie, I mean, if you can give me a vampire movie where dawn, you know, daylight isn't a player. It's a player, but it's a player too often in this film. You're right. It does keep, it keeps coming up. So it keeps pushing against the events of the film. It's like everything's happening and now the sun is coming up and then yeah. other things happen and now the sun is coming up and everything's happening and now the sun's coming up again. Yeah, so this yeah is I guess the- I could see it's a bit, a bit repetitive. Yeah, it's a bit yeah. repetitive and you're just relying on this to help the protagonist and I think that weakens them, weakens the story, weakens the resolution because I want something more creative instead of just this, oh, well, they're just going to burst into flame. Because like yeah. what happens here, what happens here is then Jesse grabs Sarah in the car, May saves her by breaking out of the back of the car station wagon because she doesn't, you know, she feels for Caleb and, you know, doesn't want his sister to be turned or be killed. And even though I like the burning effects here, now I just, you know, obviously we should point out that this is some very interesting and cool visual effects that are being done here because Horny Homer gives chase and he starts bursting into flames and you see it all over his face. I'm not sure this is CGI. And no, it's not. Is, it's 1987. It's definitely it's, not CGI. Because if it is, that is amazing special effects work. Because it looks very real. And the interesting thing here is, you can definitely see this is that Joshua John Miller actor who's running away and his face is on flames. My guess is it's probably a mask over top of a stunt Could performer. Be. They're lighting on fire. That'd be my guess. Yeah, but there were a couple of close effect shots and it looked exactly like him. So if that's yeah, a mask, awesome. that's, that's pretty impressive work. Yeah, here. it's pretty good. Well, hey, I mean, and they, that mask of Arnie when he's cutting his eyeball out in the Terminator was pretty effective too. So, you know, that's not like it can't be done. That's true. That is true. So, so then, yeah, obviously Homer starts burning and he explodes. And then, and then again, I hated the, hated the resolution here. It's so rushed. Then Jesse and Diamondback see that they turn their car around. They want to take a run at May and Caleb and C- Caleb's covered May up with his jacket because she started to burn, but she made it, but she's unconscious. And they run towards her. And funny thing here is, is they're covered up with blankets partially. I mm-hmm. understand their hands starting to burn being exposed to sunlight because some of the sunproofing on their car is gone or is damaged, but they just completely burst into flames and they're just kind of content with it. And then they explode. And I'm not a fan of that, of that ending. Just such a letdown for me. And then it cuts to May waking up the next day and she received the con blood and I guess they live happily ever after. The movie just ends there. What did you think of this ending? Like, this is very, very rushed. I think it's... It's starting to look like a theme in the films that we've examined where things start to fall apart in the third act. Pretty common. Yeah, I mean, the third act seems... 
you know, it's, it's hard, it, right? It's, it, it's, it's hard. It's hard to, you know, whether, you know, the writers just get so tired of writing. They said, okay, let's just finish this. You know, we, we got two, two thirds of the film. We got something good here. It's good enough. Or it's a budget problem if they're filming in order and they have a problem near the end. But we know movies aren't really filmed in order necessarily. I don't know how the, bu- no. I don't know how the budgetary reasoning on movies is. Is like, do these fucking accountants who approve the budget, do they go through scene by scene from start yeah. to finish? Yeah, they, they do. Get to the third, they get to the third act and says, oh, we've run out of money. Sorry. Yeah, you have what's called a line producer, and they do go line by line, scene by scene to budget out the whole thing, to, to decide where you're spending your money. I think it's more a structure problem because a film is a three-act narrative structure. It just is. You know, unless you're Terrence Malick, your film is a three act, you know, no deviation from that. So, you know, the advantage to that structure is you can kind of build, you have a skeleton already, you can build a story on top of it. And we talked a bit about how maybe the first act where they rushed into a little bit with this turn, the second act is where all the meat happens. And then you get to the third act. I mean, you've got 90 minutes to work with, with a low budget film, even with big budget films, sometimes you have 90 minutes. So you have a limited amount of time to wrap everything up because you've got to wrap everything up and you're making a movie. So there's certain things that need to happen, especially in the eighties, the guy's got to get the girl. So we got to have time for that. We have to have some kind of conflict that needs to be resolved with the good guy coming out on top. So we have these I think the problem here is we have these standard things that need to happen in a movie when we're talking about, you know, in this context, we have a Hollywood movie. We have things that need to happen with the resolution, the guy getting the girl, the bad guys dying uh, in a dramatic conflict. And unfortunately, all of that sort of being sprinkled on top of some really interesting shit that was happening in the second act and even the first act that, you know, so it feels it it does feel rushed. It, It does feel like it's not necessarily consistent with what we've seen before because it isn't because we got to wrap we got to wrap shit up you know yeah. story like this is probably better served on a you know longer form in a tv show or whatever like that you know was which is what we start to see nowadays but we you know we're 30 years later so that's true but and it's it is this is a common issue in very simple mm-hmm. horror movies especially in the slasher genre things yeah. wrap up pretty quick but it's still not really an excuse well no i i don't think it's it's an excuse In the sense of, you know, I don't want to let anybody off the hook, but there are trappings of the structure of the system that are very difficult to break out of, Mm -hmm. you know, like for, you know, for better or worse, like I say, I'm not, I'm not trying to excuse this movie or or any other movie that breaks down in the third act, you know, they should be able to, to put it together. But I mean, I don't know. I think it's, it's a, it's a problem that doesn't start or stop with near dark, right? It's a it's a systemic issue. Well, then what did you think about then the, the blood transfusion? I mean, I had the con blood thought sort of flash through my mind, but I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't staple that to them because this is 1987. I was actually fine with it because I had never seen that in a in a vampire movie before as a potential solution. Hmm. Well, I you think, know, I don't, a, don't, don't they do very something few... similar? But they do something very different yet similar with Blade because he's getting some kind of ser- well, they, serum or I don't know if it's antibodies or like, antibodies is blood. So yeah, they invent some kind of serum because he's a human vampire hybrid mm-hmm. Blade, right? Whatever that means. So they have a serum that helps him not need human blood, I think. 
but he, I mean, he could still, I mean, he could still feed off of blood and it would be fine, but he doesn't need it because of the serum. And I much prefer that because it keeps him at bay. Here, it's a total what? cure. Well, it's a and, cure, but I've never I seen a, I've only ever seen one other movie where they suggested a cure for vampirism, which was called, I think it's called. The Cure? <laughs> no. I think it's called Daylight with Ethan Hawke and the entire the entire world is vampires. Like there are no humans left. Oh, okay. The only humans left. There's like a few humans left, but they're in like it's a farm basically. And they it's just a it's a blood bank, right? So they drain the blood of these very few humans who are left alive because the vamp- vampires have taken over. So they're all so the vampires all start to starve to death. And if I recall correctly, Willem Dafoe is one of the few remaining free humans. And he and Ethan Hawke accidentally discover a cure for vampirism by accidentally shooting him with a shotgun in the sunlight. It was some crazy, stupid bullshit. Terrible movie. Don't waste your time. But that's the only other movie I've ever heard of. Like, nobody's ever tried to cure it. So when I saw this in the context of when it was made, I'm like, okay, well, they're looking for a cure. Okay. I was like, okay, I guess. Yeah. Fuck it. Sure. That's okay. I'm all right with that. I was fine with it. I didn't love it, but I was okay with it. Hmm. Well, I I take the opposite approach. I'm not okay with it. Maybe I'm just a little too sensitive after seeing this kind of resolution happen. What's the resolution? I mean, because otherwise... Otherwise, he's a vampire forever, right? Well, we could, he could just sacrifice himself. I don't know. I guess yeah. that's a cliche ending as well. I mean, yeah. I think I've seen this in other... I think this was even Blade 2, I think, where female love interest for Wesley Snipes is Blade. Something happens that causes her to say, fuck it, I'm just going to go... Let's go sit and watch Sunrise and I'm just going to burn it down. Yeah, that... Yeah, that I don't know if that's Blade 2, Blade 3, whatever the fuck that is. Well, I, that happened in 28 Days Later. Or not 28 Days Later. 20 Days of... twenty. 30 Was Days it? of Night or something? 30 Days of Night, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thank or you. Or maybe yeah. that's it. So maybe I'm thinking about it. Yeah, that. We're, we're Josh, what's his name? It's not uh, a bad movie, actually. No, it's not, it's not a bad movie. That was actually pretty cool. But he does the same yeah. thing. They go and watch the sunrise and he burns up as ashes. I like, I just want to say, I, I, I love the fact that we're talking about Blade and Blade 2 on the podcast here. Uh, they'll get enough love. Anyway. Well, I'm not sure about Blade 2, but Blade definitely is. Yeah, well, I mean, Blade, I mean, it's not like we're talking about Blade 3 here, okay? Like, one and one, yeah, two, okay. Well, the two original, Bla- original Blade's pretty sweet. Yeah, Blade's pretty sweet. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I guess that probably does it for today's episode, uh, our discussion on Catherine Bigelow's. Actually, before we wrap this up, let's talk about Catherine Bigelow's directorial performance here. Any comments? I will say, you know, we talked about her a bit before. I thought that this was a very well shot movie, especially for such a low budget. Very technically proficient. I thought that it looked, for the money, I thought it looked great. I thought that she did a great job getting good performances out of actors who, I don't know what the right term is, but like these these guys, none of these guys who are in this movie, especially this time, are used to being in impactful roles in a film. And they all gave us good performances. And I loved how they shot May. What's the uh, Jenny Wright? I loved how they shot her. I loved how it, they shot her. She it, looks in the, in so... She just how she was lit. There was sort of some it was like almost slow motion. She looked so ethereal, otherworldly, beautiful, but supernatural. There was uh, something about how they lit her and put the cameras on her that was absolutely fantastic. And it's it's almost a subconscious thing. And I, you know, I just kept I was mesmerized every time she was on the screen. And as I started, like, really looking for it, I'm like, it's a little bit of slow mo there. The lighting's perfect. 
So yeah, Catherine Bigelow did one hell of a job directing this film and the director of photography, whose whose name I guess will be lost to the annals of time. Adam Greenberg was this director of photography here who's done a lot of stuff, did one fuck awesome of a job, I thought, for pennies. Uh, of a budget. I absolutely agree. I think the weakness of this film is more on the writing, and unfortunately the budget has not, does not help the third act. If that was indeed a budgetary issue, most likely it is. Yeah, it's unfortunate we don't get a stronger ending to this film, but let's get to our final thoughts here. But I agree, she did a, an amazing job considering the budget she was given. Very technically proficient, visually striking, some great scenes to watch, some great setups, some good moments. And I agree, the acting overall is very good, but I mean, I think the Aliens crew really steals the show, especially Paxton. I found Hendrickson a little underused, I felt. Mm -hmm. I really think they could have utilized him a little more. They just really relied on Bill Paxton, and I mean, rightfully so, to carry a lot of the scenes with the gang, the vampire gang. But when Hendrickson was allowed to do something, he also was very noticeable and striking and scary. It was a good performance. I just wish he he and Jeanette Goldstein had more to do in, mm. in the film. That was a mm. bit of a shame. And I think Caleb, Adrian Pazdar, and Jenny Wright, they did a good job. I wouldn't say an amazing job, but suitable for the roles. And you know, there's not a lot of depth here, in my opinion. But let's get to the final thoughts. Do you recommend Near Dark? What kind of recommendation is it for you? And is it a rarity? I'm not ashamed to say I really love the shit out of this movie. I enjoyed it. I didn't know a, a goddamn thing going into it. And I just lit up with joy almost at every turn. Part of that was the Aliens crew. Part of that was how, you know, I could recognize the James Cameron influences here. I really liked it. I really, really liked it. And I'm going to say that it's a, that's a strong recommendation for me. Big fat smile on my face for 89 minutes. And is it a rare antiquity? Uh, yeah. I'm going to say it is a rare antiquity. And I think the reasons why, like I say, I'm not going to hold against it the third act because I think that's a problem with so many films for the reasons I've discussed. Very well directed and very well shot for a shoestring budget. Really good performances from actors who are not powerhouses. Every actor here is a, yeah, they're all supporting actors and, and they all took their turn in the spotlight. Bill Paxton stole the show. Problems aside, yeah, you're not going to see a movie. They don't, they just don't do this kind of thing anymore. It's a shame that it wasn't better received at the time. So I'm going to say, yeah, rare antiquity for sure. Yeah, I'm going to give it a mild recommend. I did enjoy the film. I think based on the genre, like I wouldn't classify this as a great movie, but it's, a good movie for the genre itself. And I think the main strengths here is Catherine Bigelow's directing. There are definitely some set pieces here that are very interesting to see. They're very well shot. Bar scene, the shootout, when they're, the vampires are burning. I mean, these are must-watch scenes, considering the genre. But So I'll give it a mild recommendation, and not a weak one, not a strong one, just right in the middle. But I will go against you and say this is no rare antiquity, not even close, because I feel that aside from some good scenes. I mean, Catherine Bigelow did a good job. Actors did job. Good enough job. I like the way this movie looks. The third act is just too much of a problem for me. I can't give it a pass. I think other vampire movies are have done it better. And they really didn't bring a lot new to the table here to really distinguish itself from the rest of the pack. And the terrible ending, those conveniences with the damn sun rising. I mean, these vampires aren't very smart. And I think that's a big crux to the movie. Unfortunately, the third act is just... It balls 
balls to the wall fun in some scenes but also terrible and I was just saying what the fuck it's too bad it was almost there but the third act was better I would definitely this would definitely be in my opinion if third act was better it would definitely be in that top 30 that would be ranking 34 out of the 50 easy in my book but it doesn't deserve that recognition so Jeff that does it for today's show Catherine Bigelow's 1987's Near Dark what do you have in store for us next for episode 26 so this was uh, this past one was your holiday pick and now we're into the Christmas season. So my pick is from 1954 starring Bing Crosby and Rosemary Clooney White Christmas. White Christmas. Yeah. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I never heard of it, but I uh, White Christmas is the first Black Mirror episode. So I was like, ah, White Christmas. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I would love to talk about that, but no, but I was looking forward to it. a good episode. Yeah. 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 John Hamm was amazing in that one. Yeah. He was really good. Yeah. He was yeah. really good. But yeah, no, looking forward to it. Back to the 50s. Looking forward to it. Should be fun. It'll be great, man. It'll be fun. Okay. Thanks for joining us today, Jeff. And we'll see you next time. All right, man. We'll see you next time. All right. Take it easy. Bye.